So today's Bible reading, as Sammy said, comes from the book of Luke, um, chapter 1, verses 39 to 56, and you can find it um, on page 831 of the church Bibles in front of you. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Well, let me say it's uh, great to be together the week before Christmas, singing great carols, focusing on our great Saviour, and it's great to have Uh, members of the 9 and 11 o'clock congregation coming together, and uh, many visitors as well at this service as we celebrate uh, Christ. Friends, uh, we have been in a three-week series in uh, December, looking at some of the early accounts in the book of Luke, and today we come to what I've called a great perspective. Now, a great perspective is Mary's perspective on God, what he's doing at this time as she comes to bear a child and God's great plan to bring salvation to all people. And uh, one of the things you notice about Mary is that uh, she has great joy in her life. God has just promised her this miraculous thing and this joy. And so I'm asking this question of you this morning, one week out from Christmas, despite the tiredness and the late nights and the shopping and everything else, is there joy in your soul this Christmas? Is there a deep inner joy when you think of God stepping into human history in his son to be our saviour? When you see that nativity scenes, is there joy in your heart? Not simply what you say, but what you feel inside. Now, we all call to have this deep inner joy in Christ. I was reading a book called The International Gods of Sport by Ross Clifford. And he tells a story of Wes Hall, and we have a photograph of him up here, famous West Indian cricketer. Uh, And uh, Wes was at this church about 20 years ago preaching and sharing testimony. And Brian Booth, who's a part of our church, is also an Australian, former Australian cricket captain, interviewed him. And, um, And just in that interview, we just noticed the passion Wes Hall had for Jesus. And Ross Clifford mentions in his book, Wes Hall has lived most of his life without a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
He stands at the top of the sporting, business, and political worlds. Few before him or after him have scaled such heights. Yet finally, these successes are not what Wes wants to leave us with. What does he want us to leave us with? I cannot tell you the difference God has made in my life, he says. All of I've achieved is nothing compared to knowing and serving Jesus. I can't recognize myself. I'm so changed. I sometimes pinch myself to see if it is still me. And we notice that when he preached here, there's this inner joy that magnifies our Lord. Now, you'd be surprised that I tell you I've been watching some of the World Cup recently. Very surprised you would be. And uh, there was a photograph of the team from Ecuador after a game on their knees praising Jesus. They played in a world event. I don't know whether they won or lost that day. Probably won. It helps them to praise better when they've won, I've noticed. Um, But they are praising Jesus, saying that in the middle of a World Cup, what is most important to us is praising Jesus. And let me tell you about Olivier Giroud, a French striker. Uh, You may not know that he is a committed Christian. He scored the goal that knocked England out of the World Cup the other day. He scored two goals against Australia. He's about 36 years of age now, and he's been serving Christ as well as playing football. And here you have him on the front page of a Christian magazine that he uh, edited. It says, I feel I have to use my media profile to talk about my commitment to Jesus Christ. So he hopes to win tomorrow morning at 2 a.m. But we pray, and I hope that he, whether win or lose, that Jesus is his consuming passion. Jesus is what he ultimately rejoices in. Friends, Mary has exhilarating joy in her. And we, we come to Mary herself with exhilarating joy. Let's set the scene, and you remember where we've come the last couple of weeks. When the angel Gabriel told the young virgin Mary that she was going to have a child who would be the son of God and reign over the house of Jacob forever, she said, how can this be? It's an astounding message God, the angel, gave to Mary. God, the angel answered that the Holy Spirit would come upon her so that the child's conception would be divine. Then he gave Mary the added confirmation that nothing is impossible with God by telling her that her relative Elizabeth, who was old and barren, was also pregnant. The angel told Zechariah in chapter 1, verse 15, that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Okay, hold on to that. Even from his mother's womb, he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means the Spirit of God would exercise control over John the Baptist in his mother's womb until he completes his ministry as a grown man. Then Luke gives evidence of this, and that was the beginning of that Bible reading today. Mary approaches Elizabeth carrying the Son of God in her womb, and little John gives Elizabeth a good kick in a diaphragm. Verse 41, right? Then Luke says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and cries out, Mary, my child is leaping for joy. Jim wants to say it's not normal. The Holy Spirit has helped John before he can even speak to bear witness to the Lord in, his, in the mother's womb. Now, I want you to notice something else also. God is about to change the course of all human history. The most important three decades in all of time are about to begin with the birth of this child. 
And where is God? He's occupying himself with two obscure, humble women. That's where God is, right? Chooses two obscure, humble women to do his ministry amongst. One old and barren, one young and a virgin. And Mary's so moved by this vision of God, God's grace, God's activity, God's miracles, that she can simply break out in song. And uh, it's known the, as the Magnificat, which is Latin for glorifies. And sometimes women don't get a lot of mention in our sermons through the Bible. Don't miss it. Mary and Elizabeth are wonderful heroines in Luke's account. They believe, they trust, they submit. And the thing that impresses Luke most, it appears, and the things he wants to impress on us, is the lowliness and cheerful humility of Elizabeth and Mary. There's no arrogance, there's no pride, there's no, I deserve this. No, they are humble, faithful women of God. Elizabeth says in 143, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? The very visit is an act of grace. And Mary says, The Lord has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. And I think it's important to remember here, the only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Elizabeth and Mary. People who acknowledge their lowly estate and are overwhelmed by the grace of the magnificent God. Sometimes when a prisoner in jail is converted, they see their sin, their failings, their brokenness, and they hear the gospel, there's a God who loves them and died for them on the cross and rose again from the dead and his son Jesus, and he offers forgiveness and a clean slate in life, they are completely transformed and they are filled with an inner joy. Sometimes though, because we're more middle class, normal, average type of people, I'm talking about myself, maybe not you, you are not yet captured by the beauty and the grace and the mercy of God who would do this for us. And no one comes to Christ, right? No one comes to Christ until they recognize they don't deserve any of this. It's all grace, it's all love, it's all mercy, it's all God. That's what these women are like. But I want you to know something else about Mary before we come to a song. She, Mary seems to have a great grasp of the Bible. Because you may not know this, but in her song, she reflects the prayer of Hannah in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. Hannah was another woman who had no children. She was being abused by other women, put down by other women because she could not have children. So she prayed earnestly that the Lord would give her a son. And God answered the prayer, and he did. He gave the son Samuel. And then Hannah sang a song of praise, which is similar to Mary. So go home, ladies, who don't have a reader of 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, and then read Mary's song. Similar themes, that God is on the side of the poor and the humble, the ones who trust in him. God is against the rich and the powerful and the abusers. That God is a good God and God is a merciful God. And it seems like Mary is so steeped in scripture, she doesn't simply quote what happens in 1 Samuel, but she knows the words and those words help her to, refer, to express her own words here in this passage. Do you want joy in your soul this Christmas? 
Do I want joy in my soul this Christmas? I need to steep my mind and heart in the Word of God, the truth of God, to know it, to memorize it. So when I face different situations, the Word of God comes to mind. And I hope that's your situation as well. So what does she do, though? With the Word of God in her heart, firstly, she expresses what she feels in her heart. Secondly, she mentions what God has done specifically for her as an individual. And thirdly, she spends most of the time describing the way God is in, at work in general, uplifting the humble, bringing down the proud. But firstly, does your soul glorify the Lord? And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. It's a beautiful moment. Just stop and reflect. All God has done she says, my soul glorifies my God. Well, how does a soul glorify or magnify God? Our mouth magnifies God by saying God is magnificent. And God is merciful. God is gracious. We speak words, don't we? We speak God's praises. And we've done it today in our songs. But no one hears a soul. No one hears that inner being. Just you and God. Mary, I don't think, is verbalizing a silent prayer. I think she means that at this moment... Her soul feels the greatness, the holiness and mercy of God. And the feeling is one of joy. My spirit rejoices in God. You ever felt like that? Something has happened in your life. You sense the presence of God, the power of God, the saving work of God. And you're in a glow. You can sit there alone with the word of God and pray and you just sense that God is there for you. You don't need the external blessings. God is there inside of you. I also want you to notice also that Mary calls God her saviour. Although she was a woman chosen by God for a unique ministry, she also recognised her need to be saved. The only sinless, let me say this carefully, the only sinless person who ever lived was Jesus. All other human beings, Mary included, were sinful and fallen short of God's standards and needing saving. And she praised God, and she obeyed God. So at Christmas, God breaks into human history that he might save his people from their sins. Do we praise him and obey him? At the cross, Jesus Christ dies in our place for our rebellion toward God. Do we praise him? Do we obey him? Through the resurrection, Jesus declares his victory over sin, death, and Satan, do we praise him? Do we obey him? Friends, when I experience something of joy, because I'm Greek and I'm loud, I keep talking about it. For example, you're probably like that too. When you enjoy a good holiday, they can't shut you up about it. You have the photographs, the stories. When my daughter got married, I showed photos to everyone. When Sydney FC has another win, although they don't have many wins these days, I may post it on Facebook. When I have a granddaughter, it happens to make its way into sermons every so often. Because when we have joy over something, we talk about it, we share it with others. And it's right for Mary, she is so overcome by God's joy, she wants to share this truth with others. I was reading uh, this uh, unusual little story, an unusual phone call that took place by Mark Middleberg. Mark Middleberg wrote a book called The Building a Contagious Church, Becoming a Contagious Christian. A couple of books there. And one day he wanted to ring his friend, Dr. William Lane Craig. Dr. William Lane Craig is a New Testament scholar, an apologist, he defends the faith. 
Uh, but he'd lost his phone number and he knew where he'd moved to, so he, he Googled numbers and he found a number. He found a Bill Craig. So he made this phone call. And he said, I dialed the number. Cheerful voice said, hello. I said, I'm calling for Bill Craig. This is Bill Craig, the man assured me. It sure doesn't sound like Bill Craig to me. I'm looking for the real Bill Craig, he says. But which Bill Craig do you have in mind? Well, I'm looking for William L. Craig. Well, this isn't William L. Craig. This is William Z. Craig, he said with enthusiasm. Conversation continues. Normally, I would have acknowledged I had a wrong number, left the poor guy alone. Not this day. I was walking close to Christ and feeling the joy and exuberance that go along with that. So I took a redemptive risk and let the more adventurous side of my personality come out. You think, oh, I'm never going to do this. <laughs> he did. That sure is unfortunate, he says to him. So why is that? Because you're just one initial away from being a world-famous speaker and defender of the Christian faith. I quipped lightheartedly. Well, you certainly do have the wrong Bill Craig, he said. No one's ever mistaken me for a religious person. Well, then I said, why not? Don't you believe in God? Conversation continues. Well, yes, uh, in my own way, I guess. And off our discussion ran. I was surprised by this conversation, as the stranger a thousand miles away was as well. We talked for a few minutes about spiritual matters, and I challenged him to read some of the books and materials written by his namesake the other more famous Bill Craig. Before we got off the phone, he even gave me his address. So I wrote him a letter and mailed him a tape of the debate Bill Craig had had with an atheist and some other Christian materials. All this emanated from my dialing a wrong phone number. That is the kind of evangelistic adventure that flows out of walking close to Christ and staying open to the split-second opportunities he brings our way. If I had not had a Holy Spirit boldness and a heartfelt concern for lost people that day, the conversation never would have taken place. Unfortunately, I can also illustrate the flip side of the equation out of my personal life. When I was spiritually disconnected and preoccupied with my own concerns and desires, even much more overt opportunities just seem to pass me by. Let it overflow. I love these words by John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we are satisfied in Christ, when we are joyful in Christ, friends, witness is going to overflow. Now, I did stop and talk to some uh, Christians from a group in camps. Yes, I was there for a few minutes, and they were handing out invitations to Christmas. And I think they're a little bit cult-like, this Christian group. So I started a conversation with one of the young women. I thought, oh, well, let's see how she, how she goes. And, and we, we I didn't get too far in the conversation, talked I was a pastor, I was a Christian, and that always stumps them when you say you're a pastor and you're a Christian, because they're a street witnessing trying to convert you, and you tell them you're already a Christian, and they're confused on what to say next, which is not a good witnessing strategy. And I did that the same with someone else a while ago in Hurstville, and I stopped, I said, well, here they were trying to witness to people, I stopped, and I told them I was a follower of Jesus. I said, yeah, do you know this? Well, slowly, I've just told you I'm a follower of Jesus, I've been born again, filled with the Spirit, um, and sometimes as Christians, we're out there evangelizing, but we don't even know how to deal with other Christians in, in a gracious way. And um, I'm just not sure how they go with the non-Christians. But it ought to overflow in genuine love and care for people. Secondly, do you give God the glory in all things? Are you joyful? Do you give God the glory? For he has been mindful of the humble state 
of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one, get this, the mighty one has done great things for me. She realizes it's not her. God has done it. God is going to birth in her the son of God. God, as a result of this, is going to lead to blessing for Mary. People will call her blessed through the generations. She's learned from the Bible that God lifts up the lowly, brings down the arrogant. Here she is, 15, 16 years of age. She loved God and was available to be used by God. For us today, the Holy One has done great things for us through the cross and the resurrection. So today we are justified, we are forgiven, we are reconciled to God, we are accepted, we are secure, we have significance with God, and we have a destiny because of all God has done for us. And we ought to give him the glory this Christmas for our salvation, our family, our possessions, our health, our holidays, our children's achievements, our promotions, our income and our homes. And friends, in our ministries, we ought to give God the glory too for the fruitfulness of our ministries or the successes for his gifting, his enabling and his power. And finally, in Mary's song, it raises the question, do we humbly trust in God and him alone? It says, holy is his name. God is holy. He is unique. He exalts the humble, he says. Have a look at these three verses. His mercy extends to those who fear him. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. One side of God's holiness is that he works on those who trust him, who are humble before him. On the other side, God opposes the proud. He brings them down. Those who think they can do without God, kings and, and people who oppose God and are angry at God and try to take God down. He has scattered those who are proud in their most thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones. He has sent the rich away empty. God in his perfection, in his holiness, lifts up the humble, brings down the proud. And it's clear from Mary's words and from the whole Bible that God is not partial. Listen carefully. God is not partial to the rich, the powerful, or the proud. Why? Because these things, more often than not, become substitutes for God rather than pointers to God. Vast numbers of people are perished on their way to hell because they've been enamored by pride, power, and wealth. And I think there's a word of warning and of salvation here. The great and holy God magnifies his greatness by blessing the lowly who admire his greatness by abasing the proud who resent his greatness. John Piper writes, at Christmas, we need to acknowledge that we're all tempted to follow rival gods rather than the one true God for ultimate satisfaction. I'm going to throw a few up on the screen for you there. Sometimes it may be power. It comes with money, position and fame. People with power think they don't need God. They can do whatever they want, go wherever they like. It may be sport, and we know sport is a great rival to God. In Argentina at the moment... And in France at the moment, as they prepare to play in the World Cup tomorrow, millions of people will be on the streets. Everyone will be glued to their television sets. They'll be out there. This is the moment of glory. Almost at a greater level, the worship of God. 
Someone has said, how can a culture that finds it perfectly reasonable to pay professional athletes tens of millions of dollars have any grasp of values? Maybe you've thought that. The amount of money an athlete gets, the amount of money some people earn in one, one week's millions of dollars. She's carefully looked after over there. <laughs> and pride. Do you enjoy God being, or you being God in your life? Most people want to do things their own way. I think about uh, driving a car and uh, confess that I normally, when my wife and I are driving together, I'm normally the driver. Uh, she's happy to read a, she's happy, right, to read a book and sit in the opposite seat and let me just do the driving. But there's something about control of your life, isn't it? Anyone like me will always want to drive? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's some power in that. And I think in our Christian lives as well, God says, Ange, move over to the passenger seat. Let me do the driving, God says. Let me do the directing. Let me do the leading. And every so often I take control of the wheel of my life and God says, no, 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 back to your seat, Ange, back to your seat. Let me do the driving. Then there's uh, wealth, materialism is seductive, we know. Career for some people, career becomes their God. Celebrity, some people have an obsession with celebrities and influences. Friends, I don't know what I would be like if I had 30,000 people following every word and every photograph I posted. Anyone famous here as an influencer? Just, I know a couple. I won't name you. <laughs> but I have family members and uh, others, 15,000 people. And so I can go every day. People give them free clothes to advertise. They put on a new outfit and everyone's commenting and watching. Sometimes it's food, sometimes it's something else. Can you imagine... The pressure and sometimes the fame and the pride that comes with that type of thing. We need to be very careful, don't we? And we need to be very careful who we follow. Beauty, infatuation with beauty, makeup, clothes, plastic surgery, nip and tuck everywhere, fake tans. For some people, that becomes their God. And family, this is a seductive one. The noblest form of atheism, someone says. When the worship of God is replaced by the worship of family. There are people who follow Jesus, but don't make it to church, don't make it to Bible study, don't make it to worship or to serving Christ because they are busy giving multiple opportunities to their children, Saturdays, Sundays, Wednesdays, Fridays. We want to give our kids opportunities, but kids will know whether Christ is Lord and Saviour in your life. And sometimes we need to balance that. I had a woman say to me once, when I said to her, when you come to Christ, Christ has to be above, he has to be first, you love him first, above your children, even. And she said, I cannot become a Christian because I cannot love anyone more than my two children. And it's never followed Christ. Family can become your God. So what does your spirit rejoice in this Christmas? Pride, power, wealth, career, sport, beauty or family? Or can you say like Mary did, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Friends, may God help us to recognise his grace and to rejoice in him. Amen.